You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. John Shirley is the author of novels that include Crawlers, Eclipse, A Splendid Chaos, The Other End, and City Come Awakin'. He's the author of the short story collection Heatseeker. Thank you for joining me, John. Good to be here. John, we're talking about a forthcoming novel from you, Black Glass. Now, this is a book that I've heard about for uh, what seems like a million years. Uh, let's talk first just about the novel itself. Tell us, you describe it in the introduction as a pulp novel of ideas, and I love that description. Yeah, um, uh, from the introduction, let me tell you something that's in the introduction here. A Black Glass was conceived under a different name, and it's a different kind of project. <clears throat> in the early days of cyberpunk, by myself and William Gibson. <coughs> and that's not William Gibson, the playwright. I mean, William Gibson, the author of Neuromancer and Spook Country. And uh, we'd collaborated in a couple of projects, short stories and scripts. And I don't remember who came up with the main idea of the general story of Black Glass. I think it was me, but I'm not certain. I know I wrote a, an elaborate tale based on our discussion. I'm the one who fleshed it out, and Bill approved it. Then the project got derailed, and we both got diverted, and he was swept up to um, collect awards and count his royalties and change his blood in Switzerland or whatever, uh, <laughs> kill with Bono and stuff. And uh, subsequently, long subsequently, I remembered the book, and I inquired, and uh, he turned the whole thing over to me. So then I I wrote the book. I mean, I from page one, the whole thing is... John Shirley, but it originated with discussions and some notes and some little outlines between myself and William Gibson, and it is, um, it has a kind of a, it has a little bit of a retro tone, maybe, it's it's a little bit um, uh, influenced by, as much by um, people like James Cain, I suppose, as um, by any science fiction writer anywhere. And it is a bit of a detective-flavored thing set in the future and a bit of a tragedy and then a bit of a romance. And um, it's um, also, you know, a certain amount of satire is in there. Not funny ha-ha satire exactly, but uh, satirical writing about uh, where our society is going and uh, the kind of things we're setting ourselves up for and, uh, the roadblocks that we seem to be arranging for ourselves ahead of time down the road, and then you know it's a it's a novel about uh, a guy who uh, used to be a cop, and um, essentially he discovers that his brother is going to go to a, a jail for a long time for a crime, um, you know, cybernetic uh, theft of a of a certain kind, and so he. Um, takes the uh, takes the rap for him and goes to jail in his stead. And the jail is a special kind in the future where they... Uh, there, there are two or three kinds in the future, but uh, the this sort of minimum security one that he gets to go to because he's an ex-cop is, is where they take your mind out in a way. They sort of switch off your mind. Your body walks around and does 
busy work and, uh, you know, whatever the guards tell it, and then it sleeps at night, and, and um, years go by, and you don't really have a sense of it. But you've lost those years out of your life, even though you're not consciously enduring the uh, detention that much. Now, that's a, a trope, a, a story, that idea that I saw in one of the stories in Heatseeker, Sleepwalkers. Well, it is, it is a little bit. In Sleepwalkers, um, there's no prison involved, but it is the, uh, uh, where I, I feel free to steal my own ideas. And uh, Sleepwalkers um, was, is one of my stories that's found in uh, Living Shadows, among other places. Uh, yeah, it's, it, in that case, it's about a, Sleepwalkers is about a um, sort of prostitution scene where uh, people hire their bodies out and their brains are switched off and their bodies do whatever. Um, so that way, you know, you preserve the anonymity of the client. And you don't remember any of the nasty stuff that goes down. And uh, but it's a it's a it's a metaphor actually for kind of how you know we displace ourselves and stop uh, being aware of where we are in the world, and then we get used. Um, and then I took that and, and projected that in black glass into a penal setting. And then, so he wakes, our hero, Richard Candle, um, wakes up from four years of this and is released, and um, uh, his adversaries in the world, he has some enemies, didn't want him released, and he, he sort of slips between the cracks and slips through their fingers and is released, and they try to find him and stop him because he, you know, they're afraid that he may... Uh, you know, be on a sort of vendetta against them. And it's about, it's about a man on the street versus the man at the very top of the corporate ladder. Um, and in the future, uh, in this future, there are very few corporations because they've been allowed to merge and all the um, antitrust legislation has basically been repealed and the privatization rules everything. And you get the consequences of that. You get you know, when privatization rules everything, you get uh, corporations that have no restraints, and so uh, it's a world run by corporations. Not a not a new science fiction idea, but I think you know my updating of it is is pretty strong. And given that McCain is currently ahead in the uh, polls, it uh, it seems even more likely to come true. One of the things that this book is about is our willingness to leave the real world behind and immerse ourselves in virtual worlds because they make us feel better. So I, I wonder if you care how to talk about how you played that out in this novel and, and um, just some of the tensions as a writer that you encountered in trying to play with some of these ideas that you maybe thought about some 20 years ago, and now you're thinking about them now. They're no less relevant now than they were 20 years ago. In fact, as you mentioned, in some ways they're more relevant. We're closer to that uh, awful future, if not actually immersed in it at this moment. Well, we are using uh, media for self-medication. We do it all the time. We constantly use media for self-medication. Um, we, we use it... Um, like a drug that we cut with the other drugs as we're, you know, alcohol or whatever. I mean, that's our tendency. And we, uh, you know, watch a lot of television. We go to a lot of movies. We spend heaps of time on the Internet, the majority of us, um, and increasingly more of us and more of us. Um, we have little screens that we carry around with us. There are people developing um, glasses 
that allow you to watch uh, something while you walk around. There's a there's a notorious syndrome where people are um, are text messaging um, and um, or looking in in the little game screens like you know uh, Game Boy Portable. Yeah, for example, and um, walking into telephone posts and and lamp posts. And in Britain, it's gotten so bad that they've actually put padding on them in many streets. Wow. That's surreal. That was in the paper. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, it's like, it's, life imitates, life imitates satire. That is a, a phrase I love to use. And, and I feel that it is always proving itself true. And, and, uh, that is where we're going. So, um, I posit, um, uh, and again, probably not original, but uh, I try. I bring my own spin to it, my own um, kind of experience in a way to it, of a form of virtual reality that's very, very addictive. It's a combination of a direct um, uh, neuronal stimulation uh, through um, uh, tight microwave transmission and the imagery that's that you you know is projected into your eyes and into your brain and. And uh, and then so that you you feel and see this virtual environment, and you also get a high that's uh, induced at the same time to go with it, so that it becomes very addictive. It would already be addictive anyway. It's a great form of escapism. I mean, there are people who will probably people will probably starve to de- to death in virtual reality. There are people who have actually fallen over um, and died playing. Um, Things like Second Life and and uh, role playing games and <clears throat> there's a guy in Korea who actually died of hunger from it. Uh, he was there for days and days and days and how he did this exactly I don't know I don't know he had a little piss bag attached to his leg or something, um, but that happened recently in real life and um, that's just the beginning so. You know, uh, that, that's what I'm describing. And I'm describing also a kind of uh, idiocracy. Uh, you know, if you've seen the movie Idiocracy, there's, it's a big exaggeration, but there's a level at which we're, we're slipping into a sort of a lowest common denominator state of mind, um, you know, uh, where it makes us very politically manipulatable. Uh, and... And then when when the media is consciously used to exploit that, um, it uh, has terrifying possibilities. And so one of the one of the um, uh, MacGuffins, one of the devices used in this novel, is a, a special software that reveals when something you see on television is computer generated, even though it's you're, it's not revealed that it is. Like a newscaster is computer generated, but you didn't know it. Boy, that's a great idea. You have one of those that it, it catch a lot of people with their pants down now. <laughs> well, uh, it is, yeah, I mean, you know, you, some people are some form of robot, it seems. Uh, but uh, this is like, you know, literally computer program. And, uh, and then there's also one of the main uh, conceits in the book is something called semblance, uh, which are... Uh, devices that that uh, send your own image out, um, co- a computer-generated version of you to answer the phone, um, and you know they have video phones and to appear uh, at, even at at uh, remote meetings, you know, like video conference meetings, 
um, your your image appears, and it says what you would say, um, and it's it's a it's an expert system that's very very sophisticated, um, and you're pretty much all of your mind has been copied onto it, so it says what you would say. You have to update it, but and it looks exactly like it you, and you cannot tell you know by just by looking at one of these images if it's the person or not. Uh, you have to be like really an expert to tell. Uh, and they have all these background things going on to complete the illusion. So that's like this new medium uh, and semblant technology that's spreading through the world at this time. And the villain has, I don't want to give away who, uh, too much, but the villain has to do with a, um, all these different semblants that um, kind of combine into the worst part of a person. Um, it's, they combine the, rather, they combine the worst part of a person into one semblant. And I don't want to give away too much about that, but it's it's um, represents to me uh, what is going on uh, increasingly, except metaphorically. And technology is metaphor. Uh, you know, technology is metaphor for where we're at, and always, and more and more obviously, all the time. Uh, the the locomotive was so, was such a metaphor. I mean, it's always been pointed out by writers for a hundred years how metaphorical the locomotive was as it was plowing across the plains, you know, with this huge steam engine with grinding wheels and with steam blasting out the side, and the Indians called it the iron horse, and it, and it was it went along this rigid track. So it seemed the epitome of industrialization, uh, you know, in, embodied in this one object that suddenly appeared in a completely natural uh, setting. So, you know, it would be totally unnatural that had seemed to have a life of its own intruding into a natural setting. And, it, uh, and that was a metaphor. Right? The technology was real, but it was also a metaphor for what, it, uh, what produced it. And that's what the same thing, semblance are a metaphor for the technology of the society that produces them. Now, one of the things I think you do really well with science fiction <clears throat> is to bring, uh, make it uh, horrifying, scary. You, your futures are inevitably quite frightening. They have a kind of the, like the dull edge being cut with a dull knife. Um, so could you talk about incorporating those kind of uh, horrific elements and visions into your science fiction? Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I'm a little bit of a pessimist. Uh, this, the, this, I am a little also bit of a, a pessimist, eh? <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm also kind of a, the kind of entertainer and the kind of reader who actually prefers a happy ending. And so, I, although I, I put my readers and my characters through a great deal, they, my books usually have a happy ending, and uh, I think only one didn't. Uh, but uh, it's nevertheless, I, I just feel like in the future we're going to be facing terrible um, challenges. And um, uh, so, you, you know, my protagonist has to um, live through what people are going to live through then. But it's, you know, he's going to come out on the other side of it in a way that won't, that isn't depressing. But it's still, it is still um, in the general vicinity of dystopian. And, you know, this is a cyberpunk novel. It's the first cyberpunk novel I've written in 20 years. And cyberpunk novels are innately dystopian. You know, they're... <laughs> They're the opposite of utopia, but uh, also uh, I, I am pretty discouraged about uh, where our 
world is going environmentally. I'm, I, you know, I really do think we're in big trouble with global warming. Uh, I don't think it's an illusion. I mean, it just the evidence mounts up and mounts up and mounts up. Um, there was just a new report that said this rash of it's hurricane season, but this kind of like piling up of one hurricane quickly after another um, in the area of the Caribbean um, and uh, and the Gulf of Mexico. Um, is, in fact, a product of global warming. Uh, it's kind of like that movie, The Day After Tomorrow, because it, it is this sort of phenomenon is generated by <clears throat> the water um, cooling, the ocean water cooling, as a result of the melting ice caps. And, uh, and cooling ocean water produces um, a lot of uh, uh, dangerous side effects uh, <clears throat> in, uh, in weather patterns. And the movie, uh, The Day After Tomorrow, exaggerated it way, way big. It, it won't get that bad, but it's going to be rough. There's another phenomenon described in black glass, and that's um, the black wind. Uh, and that's something I've speculated about. I haven't seen anybody talk about it. I don't know if it's original to me, uh, um, and I hope I'm completely wrong. It's um, Basically, my anxiety is that there's a sort of synergistic uh, interaction of of free-floating chemicals in, in the atmosphere. Uh, that of free-floating, I mean, the atmosphere is chemicals, but free-floating pollutant chemicals. And um, this creates a, a sort of front of um, highly acidic and extremely dense um, particular uh, form of pollution that uh, is, a, is sort of the offspring of other kinds of pollution. Um, it's and it becomes compacted in one area. It's sort of like the old the the, um, the London smog that killed all those people. Um, killer smog. Yeah, it's Absolutely. sort of like that killer smog that was that that uh, had a lot of uh, depredation in London. Uh, I think it was almost two centuries ago. Um, but except this is on a very big scale um, in massive cells that. And uh, that's not what the book's about. It's sort of it's sort of in the background, and then it comes to the foreground toward the end. But it characterizes the kind of um, uh, challenges, the, the kind of the kind of uh, uh, dark energy of of the world I'm envisioning. This giant billowing wall of black coming, uh, you know, along the horizon to engulf whole cities, and thousands of people can die. Now, um, I, speaking of challenges, now, didn't you at some point do a screenplay for this novel? Well, there was a, there was a draft of it, yeah. And, in fact, there, it was even optioned. And, and but then the... I decided that um, uh, it was not the right time for it. And the thing, you know, the option didn't come to fruition. And I decided it wasn't the right time for um, you know, hitting people with a cyberpunk screenplay. It wasn't happening at the time. It's all about timing in Hollywood, and and I've only hit it once or twice. I've got a, a book out. Uh, well, I finished it. It's not out, but it's out in Hollywood um, in, in uh, manuscript form, <clears throat> and it's been purchased by Simon & Schuster um, called Bleak History that was optioned recently. Tell me about Bleak History. It's an urban fantasy novel, and that's 
the timing of the thing is is probably why it was it got a, a very good option fee recently from New Regency, and they've got writers working on it already. Mm. Um, urban fantasy is a coming thing, and some of them will succeed, and some won't. There's there's going to be a barrage of them, and this one is a. I don't want to give away too much. It's 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 about a a wave of uh, activation, let's say, that activates supernatural abilities around the world in certain people and a great many of them. So you have this sudden huge underclass of these people with these powers. Um, and uh, where that derives from and what is, and, and you know, um, there is a government agency striving to control them that is a kind of antagonist in the story. Gabriel Bleak is the hero of the story. And uh, he's um, an ex um, Marine, uh, an ex-soldier, uh, uh, fought in Afghanistan and and uh, struggling with uh, post-traumatic stress, and uh, which is has a lot of uh, repercussions when you have uh, uh, supernatural abilities. Mm, I can imagine so. <laughs> so anyway, it's it, you know it's part of a kind of trend in writing and. But see, I was sort of a natural for it. I like to think I almost invented it with my novel *City Come a Walk*, and that's very much an urban fantasy novel uh, that I wrote in the '80s. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it's as urban as you could get. I mean, it's it's still in print out there. Um, and I I think that uh, I had I had at least something to do with the creation of the genre. And then my novel *Dracula in Love*. It's kind of obscure right now. It's hard to find now, but it it was more urban fantasy than it was a vampire novel, and that was that's going way back to the late seventies. You know, it was what, it was the first book I wrote actually. So it's you know uh, we'll see who who uh, comes out of the uh, urban fantasy uh, combat coliseum. Uh, you know. Standing. There is going to be a lot of us out there. Um, Richard Cadry just did a three-book deal with EOS, um, and he's also had his books optioned. And that just shows you how hot the, the thing is. Well, um, Cyberpunk wasn't hot uh, at the time, possibly because in Hollywood, because Johnny Mnemonic hadn't clicked uh, at the box office. So um, I just kind of kept it gestating at the back of my mind, and then I turned a black glass into a novel and um, looked for ways to update it. I, I did. It is an updated book. I mean, it's, it's pervaded with, uh, um, you know, the world of the early 21st century, uh, projected a bit into the future, but it also has the kind of the energy of the original cyberpunk stories, and it has that detective graininess to it, the grittiness. Well, we'll be looking forward to that. That's coming from Elder Signs Press. Yeah, the first uh, edition is from Elder Signs Press. They, they're, yeah, they've got a website where they are um, signing people up to get that now. But um, there will be a mass market edition, apparently, uh, although I, I can't say who the publisher is yet because I haven't actually signed the papers but it does seem there will be a mass market edition, but that'll take a while. So in the meantime, trade paperback from Elder Science Press. Trade paperback from Elder Science Press. Thank you for joining me, John Shirley. All right.
You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Thank you.